we are starting the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for a moral revival, not in commemoration of what happened 50 years ago, but launching a multi-year movement. It will be direct action, civil disobedience, uh, power training, how to build power, and voter mobilization. For years after the death of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, 50 years to be exact, His prophetic message of social and economic justice for every American is being amplified in an unprecedented way by the faith-driven Poor People's Campaign. Rallies this past weekend across the country included arrests of religious leaders on Capitol Hill and elsewhere. But organizers say this is just the beginning of a 40-day campaign of moral action. With details, I'm joined now by the Reverend Liz Theo Harris, co-chair with the Reverend William Barber of the Poor People's Campaign. Reverend Theo Harris, welcome to State of Belief Radio. Thank you so much for having me. It's uh, great to be with you. The Poor People's Campaign has taken on a broad mantle of moral issues, so I'd like to begin with the areas of concern the campaign is focusing on. Great. So we have identified five interlocking injustices that are inseparably linked and important for us to address together. And those are systemic racism. In particular, we're looking at voter suppression. We're looking at immigration. And we're looking at the mistreatment of indigenous communities. The next issue is systemic poverty. And in particular, we're looking at living wage jobs, the right to join and form unions, guaranteed income, housing, universal single-payer health care, equitable education. We're looking at the problems of ecological devastation, the pollution of our water, the havoc that climate change is wracking on people all over the world and country, especially the most poor and marginalized, the impact of extreme extraction. Um, again, particularly poor and marginalized communities, but everyone. And then militarism and the war economy, how our nation spends 53 cents of every discretionary dollar on the military and only 15 cents on anti-poverty programs. And then we're looking at the connection between those four injustices and a distorted, immoral, heretical narrative of Christian and religious nationalism in particular, a narrative that blames poor people for our problems, that pits people against each other, and that claims that there is scarcity when we're really living in a society of abundance. So these five interlocking issues of racism, poverty, ecological devastation, militarism in the war economy, and this distorted moral narrative are the focus of this campaign. And we, like Dr. King, believe that you can't get rid of one without getting the, out rid of the other, and that in poor people, in marginalized people, they kind of sum up all of, the, all of these different issues that are, that are plaguing our society. In what ways is the situation today little changed from the days of Dr. King? So today... In 2018, there are 140 million poor and low-income people. That is 43.5% of the country. And in fact, there has been a 60% increase 
in poverty since 1968 when Dr. King and others were working on the Boy Blues campaign. 60% more people are living in poverty today than 50 years ago. Today, 50 years past that Poor People's Campaign, past many of the gains of the civil rights movement, we have fewer voting rights. Today, we have way more money being spent on the military. We have this problem of ecological devastation. So we are living in a time of deep moral crisis, in a time when if we don't unite people, around these different issues, from all walks of life, from all races and religions, from all geographies, from all genders and sexualities. If we do not come together and come up with proactive solutions, demands like single-payer universal health care, demands like automatic registration at the age of 18, demands like equitable education for our kids, demands like really curbing the environmental impacts of extreme extraction. If we don't do what we are starting to do in this campaign, then this country is headed for absolute devastation, is headed in the wrong direction. And so that's why we need to unite, why we need a poor people's campaign, and why we're calling for a national moral revival. It's a difficult time. How do you look at that and say, what are we going to do? So these are definitely difficult and dangerous times. I mean, right, this week, as we launch this massive, expansive wave of nonviolent civil disobedience and uh, on these 40 days of people, poor people, clergy, other activists coming together in more than 30 states in Washington, D.C., this major campaign to uplift the poor, as we launched, Congress was threatening to cut seven billion dollars from chip we had moms testifying on the capitol grounds wailing wailing like rachel wailed for her children who were no more because of death because their kids didn't have health care because of death because their kids were in poverty this is in the richest nation in the world at a time that we have you know, the productive capacity to end homelessness now, to end the lack of health care now, to end hunger now, right? I mean, this is a problem of will, not of, of resource. And as someone who has been organizing amongst poor and homeless people for 25 years now, what I have found traveling with Reverend Barber and others for the past bunch of years building this Portables campaign, a national call for moral revival, is that people have never been more ready to stand up, get together, and to organize, 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 Mm -hmm. um, and to cry out and cry loud and have their voices heard, and then be able to put forward proactive solutions, demands that could end these conditions, Mm -hmm. um, and to start to have a national discussion in this country about the issues that affect so many of us but that are overlooked and ignored, and to build power from below, from people in states across this country, and build an, a righteous social movement mm-hmm. for change. And and so these are really hard times, and we actually have to show this nation, put a mirror up to it and say, look at what is going on. How is it possible 
there could be 140 million poor people, 38 million mm-hmm. poor children. This, this is unjust. And it is also a time when people are willing to do what they've never been willing to do before, mm-hmm. which is come together across all of these lines that are dividing. And so, so at the same time as I have great you know, sadness for where we are, I have gotten great hope. Um, it's not an idealistic hope, mm-hmm. but it is a hope that people are standing up in communities and saying, we're ready. We're ready for change, and we're going to be that change. Liz, how big a role does race play in marginalizing uh, some of our fellow Americans today? So we start in this campaign looking at the problem, the injustice of systemic racism, because there is no way that we can talk about really addressing economic injustice or environmental injustice or militarism and, and war without really seeing the role that systemic racism plays in, mm-hmm. in helping to make all of those possible. So when we this week take on systemic racism as the main issue of our, our days of action, we will in particular pull out the issue of voter suppression Mm-hmm. And how racist gerrymandering and racist voter suppression has led to bringing about candidates in states that then pass legislation that hurt all people. And it, in some places, hurt more poor white people than even, even poor people of color. Mm-hmm. So we need to show people how racism marginalizes and isolates and hurts and kills. And we have to show how it impacts the very core of our democracy and the very soul of our nation. Mm. This is a national campaign, obviously, but of course events are happening in specific physical locations. Uh, Would you talk about the kinds of events that are still ahead in the coming weeks? So on Mondays across the country, in more than 30 states and in Washington, D.C., people are taking action. Um, at their state capitals, um, and they're drawing attention to the different themes and issues that this campaign is highlighting, like this week we'll be focused on systemic racism. Um, the following week we'll, we'll look at uh, the war economy, militarism, and the proliferation of gun violence. And so in the states and in D.C. on, on Mondays, we'll be engaging in, in nonviolent civil disobedience and organizing and, and mobilizing and making sure that we hear as a nation um, the voices of impacted people. We also are doing other kinds of events throughout the 40 days. Um, we do these mass meetings that we live stream. We, we're holding nationally broadcasted teach-ins because we, we want this country to, to learn about the reality that people are living in and to hear some of the proactive solutions and demands that are coming you know, from people who have stood up and said mm-hmm. we need to stand for justice. And we're doing CO Musicology and Movement Cultural Arts events, and we're spreading out lots of resources to faith communities and, and houses of worship to make sure that they bring their congregants and others along in terms of studying the issues and finding ways to get involved in a, in a budding moral movement. And so we're doing those over the course of the next 40 days. We We'll have even more activities and actions happening the last week here in Washington, D.C., where we'll be setting up an encampment where we'll be doing more activities and actions, and then there will be a mass mobilization 
in Washington, D.C. on June 23rd that will be really kind of like a next steps gathering where, where folks will be inspired to go back to their states and keep building for the long haul. And so, um, you know, there's a lot of activity taking place. And again, historians have told us that what happened on Monday and, and what people are planning for over the next 40 days um, is the most expansive wave of nonviolent um, civil disobedience in this country's history because people are doing it at state capitals. They're doing it all across the country. They're coordinating and they're committing to coming back and back and back. Liz, tell our listeners across the country how they can get involved or how they can support this campaign, please. So we need people to join. We need people to to lend a hand um, and lend their voice and even decide that they want to participate in the nonviolent philosophedience. And so people can go to poorpeoplescampaign.org and click on our interactive map there, find out where actions and activities and trainings and gatherings are happening in your state and contact directly the leaders of, of those activities and actions and the coordinating committees in those states and get involved. If you also go to the website, you can just register and, and take the pledge to, to be involved. And um, we do need people to, to donate. We need people to pray. We need people to spread the word um, in social media and other kinds of media that there is something happening in this country. And it's that poor people and moral leaders are standing up and saying, somebody's been hurting our people, and it's gone on far too long, and we won't be silent anymore. Reverend Dr. Liz Theo Harris is co-chair of the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival. Uh, Liz, I thank you so much for, in a busy time, taking time to talk with us and know that uh, you're always welcome on State of Belief Radio. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be with you, and thank you for sharing the word.